This week we are talking to Joe Frank Carollo, who is the Joe Frank of Hamilton Joe Frank and Reynolds. And they were, if you don't know, they were a pretty popular soft rock group in the early half of the 70s. They had three top 40 hits, a few that barely missed. Their biggest one was the song you're listening to here, Fallen in Love. That hit number one in 1975, but that was pretty much it. They have a really interesting story though. Reynolds left the band and was replaced by Denison, but they maintained the band name Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds for a while. Then they switched to Denison. All this weird stuff. Unfortunately now, Dan Hamilton has passed away. Tommy Reynolds, he got very religious and left the music industry entirely. There's basically just Joe Frank left. And even at the height of their popularity, he maintained a regular job. He's always worked in camera shops. He rents out camera equipment and that kind of thing. And now he's in his 70s and he's still doing it. I gotta say, this was a listener request. Couple listeners, actually. Howard Cogswell and Greg Burkhalter recommended uh, Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds. In fact, they sent me a list of names. In fact, uh, Howard emails me about every other day with new names. So between the two of them, they're gonna keep me very busy for a while. So this was a listener request. Hopefully you guys like it. Uh, he's a good old southern boy. He called me from his home in LA. very much for joining me tonight and um, I, uh, I I got to ask what I think is a really obvious question and that is why is there not a definitive Hamilton Joe Frank and Reynolds greatest hits album that people can buy I have no earthly idea <laughs> uh, and I, <laughs> I wish I knew I don't know it who handled enough. <laughs> yeah you know you would think it would be pretty easy to do but yeah. I, you know I don't know. We were we were on uh, ABC Dunhill for a couple of albums, and then we did uh, on Playboy Records for a couple of albums. Yeah. And I don't know who makes those kind of decisions. You know, I I don't really have anything to do with that anymore. Oh, it's ridiculous. Because I've been listening <laughs> to all your music lately to kind of get ready for our conversation, and there is there is not a definitive greatest hits album out there that you can buy. There's one that doesn't even. There's a something that's called greatest hits that doesn't even have fallen in love on it it's ridiculous and yeah, a lot of your I, albums are out of print and so i've had to listen to them thankfully somebody put them up on youtube so i've been listening to them on youtube because uh, well, they're hard to find it's not, yeah. like i use spotify i don't know if you know what that yeah. is or use it at all uh-huh. but um yeah there's not much out there and i just think for a band like yours where there's 
you know, you could put together a solid 10-track greatest hits album so easily that people would love, and yet it doesn't exist. It makes no yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I, I don't uh, I don't quite understand it. I, I don't know as far as the the Playboy thing. I'm I'm not sure who ever ran that record company yeah. because it was uh, part. It was they they had farmed out part of it to uh, MCA or Columbia. Or somebody oh, okay, like yeah. okay. Um, I uh, I'm going to ask you about Playboy in a little bit. I want to okay. get there first, but it's first. So tell me about now. I think you have a pretty strange and unique story because. Correct me. I'm 42 years old, so the height uh-huh. of your the height of your stardom was either before I was born or just after I was, you know, I'm a toddler. So everything I know about you, I've learned over the years. But um, now your first big hit is the T-Bones, and it's the Alka-Seltzer commercial, right? Right. Yeah. actually in the early days was studio musicians. They were part of that group that was known as the Wrecking Crew. And yep. when I came out to California, I, I joined that band. I had a band called Joe Frank and the Knights in high school and, and in college. And we it was a horn band. We had a few horns. And we went up to Stax Records and auditioned to do road jobs as the Marquis, which was the studio guys from Stacks, then they didn't want to do any road work. You know, oh. and I met I met the guys in the T-Bones, which they had already had that hit down in Florida, and I joined them and came out to California with Tommy Reynolds. Uh, it was strange to say, but Tommy was in the group already, and then I joined the group, and then he and I drove out to California together. Oh, wow. But the, when they did, they would take commercials, and like from uh, radio or TV, and turn them into three-minute tunes and mm-hmm. and get a, a fairly decent you know hit out of sure. it. And then when I joined, they decided that they would do an album that would be vocal because mm-hmm. we we all sang and stuff like that. So so the last uh, the album that I did with them, they half of it was instrumental and half of it was vocal. Okay, okay. So yeah. you're so the T-Bones were were made up of members of the Wrecking Crew. It was just a bunch of studio musicians, and the, and the yeah. Wrecking Crew guys were were part of that. You know, you oh, had okay. The, okay. every everybody in there that was just wow, killer, legendary, you know. yeah, yeah, piece of history. I came, wow. Yeah, when I came out here in, in the '60s, I the, I was a, I'm a bass player, and I was doing sessions. And the first one I did, Glenn Campbell was playing guitar on the day. Oh, and right on. he was he was part of the Wrecking Crew, you know. And they handed me a mm-hmm. chart. I, I read. 
but there were no, it was just chords. There were no notes on it. And I, so I asked Glenn, I said, so what do you, what do you do here? You know, and he said, man, mm-hmm. just play what you want to play, which was, I thought was about the coolest thing in the world. You know? Totally. Right. You must've been in heaven when you were oh, a kid. Man. Did you, I mean, did you grow up, you grew up in the South, right? Was it Georgia? Yeah. I lived in Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. So you're grow, when you're growing up, I mean, do you just have stars in your eyes? Do you want to be a rock star? Or do you want to be a, uh, do you want to be a musician that can pay your bills like a, a professional? What are you thinking? What, I mean, you're in a no, small I, town in Mississippi. What do you want to do? I, I actually was uh, going to go into the Navy as a career, you know, oh, at, really? at, that, at that point. Yeah, I was in. The, I joined the Naval Reserve when I was in the 10th grade, and I had decided that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I was playing. My band was playing every weekend. So I started a band back in 1953. And we worked colleges, fraternity parties, and, and about eight, ten, eight or ten states. And so that, you know, with with that, it was kind of a, it was just fun to do. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it started out as kind of more of a fluke. You realized this is a lot more fun yeah, than being yeah. in the Navy, and just well, wrote it yeah. out, right? I, I decided my cousin and I joined together, and we were going to go active on what they called the, at that time the buddy system. So and I'd had some some little medical issues as a kid, so we flew down to New Orleans to take our physical. We were already in the reserve, but to take the physical to go active, and they told me I I flunked mine, and my cousin two weeks later was in the Mediterranean, so he, oh, wow. he wasn't happy with me, and then that yeah, I came right. home and said, yeah, I got I got to play, and I actually started playing more uh, the band was working a lot more and i've always worked a day gig no matter you know okay. what i was doing musically really you know, even at the yeah, height of hamilton joe frank and reynolds I mean, we were, I, yeah i was doing sometimes i worked in uh i don't know how i got into that part of it but i worked in photography rental houses that rented cameras really? and rental equipment to folks and i still do that today that's what i do now wow yeah Wow! You know, so it, it, it just it just got into a really strange little fluky thing. Yeah. Wow. So you've maintained a regular career like a regular person does, but yeah. you've had this like rock star, you know, mild rock star. A professional rock career has more of a hobby, but it's been there for forty five, fifty years yeah, almost. Exactly. Yeah. That I is started crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, my daddy told me I was about seven years old, and he asked me if I wanted some money, and I told him yeah, and he said get a job. So, yeah, I took I took him at heart, and I and I always touched right. You know, well, and it I is the well. safest bet. I mean, yeah, having a having a regular job to pay the bills—that's a good one. That's how you do it. Okay. So now, so the the Alka Seltzer song, did you was that written to be a commercial, or was it? an instrumental that Alka-Seltzer said, we want that to be our commercial, and then they gave it the title that it got? No. How did that, no, the, How did that happen? Yeah. The, uh, the commercial was called No Matter What Shape Your Stomach's In. They were poking right. each other in, you know, in the stomach, the two, right. the two guys. And so what, what uh, Joe Saraceno was the producer of the T-Bones at the time, and what he would do would contact the writer that wrote the song and asked him to extend okay. it. Cause most of them were 30 seconds. I asked him to extend it to three and a half minutes and we get the rights to record it. And that's what, that's what they did. Okay. So when the song was written and performed, it was called no matter what shape your stomach is in. 
or whatever. I think that's right. what the, the writer had called it at the huh. time, yeah. Huh, okay, interesting. Now, that must have... One of the things we talk about on the on the podcast is the money side of the music business and how, because I don't think regular people understand how royalties work or, you know, mailbox money, as they say, or record deals or whatever. Um, from what I understand, that commercial ran for a long time. Was that, did that prove to be sort of a lucrative move for you? Were you able to well, kind no, of sustain I, yourself I, I for a while? I wasn't part of the recording part of it at all. All I, okay. I joined it. Yeah, I joined it after the second half, and I got. Uh, I don't get any royalties from the T-bone stuff. But you I, don't. Okay, that's what no, I wanted. And I knew yeah. you joined later, but I didn't know if by being yeah. in the band or no, having no, played it at one point or whatever, if you still got something from that. Okay. That's kind of an in-house. The, the uh, Joe Saraceno produced uh, the Ventures, uh-huh. and D- Danny Hamilton wrote. Jesus, I'm probably half of every song the Ventures ever recorded. He wrote really? their first million seller song, which was a song called Diamond Head. You know, they, uh, with Joe and them, they kind of controlled the T-Bone group at that point, you know. We mm-hmm. toured Japan with the new group, me and it was me and uh, it was Danny Hamilton, Tommy Reynolds, myself, and uh, Dan- and Danny's brother, Judd. And we were, we toured mm-hmm. Japan for about a month and a half or so back in the 60s. Okay, okay. Wow, all right. So how does, how now, uh, if I understand correctly... Well, you just tell me. How does Joe Franken Reynolds emerge from the T-Bones and start doing what it does? How does that band become its own thing? And tell me what that's like when you start having success as this other outfit. Well, the end of the T-Bones at the time was uh, was Danny Hamilton and Tommy Reynolds and myself and, and a couple of other guys. Mm-hmm. And when that group kind of disbanded when I think it might have done that after we got back from Japan or something like that and then Tommy and Danny and I were playing Danny and I were actually playing clubs as a duo we called ourselves the brothers and we would play restaurants and then when we would do dance clubs we'd put a drummer in there and do it as a power trio Okay. So Are we it, talking it was, like 1969? What year? This was, was yeah, this would be the this would be the late 60s. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the middle to the late sixties. Okay. So, and while we were doing these clubs, Tommy was playing around with the group that he had, and uh, we asked him to come and sit in with us one night. So he came in and and sat and, and stayed with us. We were working one club, and we were there for about a year, and he came in and joined the band there, and he actually got us an audition with uh, Steve Barry at ABC Dunhill to. Mm-hmm. Try to get a record deal, yeah. You know? 
And it, as weird as it was, we didn't go in there with any original material. We went in there really? and we did a we did a, we sang a Credence Clearwater medley or something. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, oh. but it was just a little medley thing. And they brought out a demo of "Don't Pull Your Love" and oh. and played it for us, and then asked us to sing it. Don't pull your love out on me, baby. If you do, then I think to maybe I'll just lay me down. Sang it. We we worked on it for about ten or fifteen minutes, and then we ran it down for them, and they signed us that day. I see. They, they called the president of the record company in, and they came in and made us a record deal that day. Wow. Now one of the the one of the guys who uh, requested that I track you down for the podcast had meant, asked me to ask you, was "Don't Pull Your Love" originally given to the Grassroots, and they turned it down? Do you know? That's a possibility, because we were all uh, under the same. We were all on the same label, and okay. we all the the air, the studio that ABC Dunhill had at the time uh, was an old apartment complex that they had bought, and they had a lot of little studio spaces for rehearsals. And you would see the Grassroots, you would see Steely Dan, you would see uh, all of these guys. In in this building, which was kind of kind of a weird thing, but wow. the guys that wrote "Don't Pull Your Love" actually had it out a year before we got a hold of it. They were from back east, the two guys that wrote the song, and yeah. they put it uh, out. And we literally did that. Dennis Lambert and Brian Potter. Yeah, Brian, we yeah we, we literally did their arrangement. We did the exact arrangement that they did. Oh really? Okay, yeah. interesting. And the and the Wrecking Crew that we know today. Did they play on that? They no, we were self-contained, so we pretty much sure. played on everything. Yeah, the only thing that uh, we had, uh, well, Larry Nectel, who was a, a, a bass player, keyboard player with the Wrecking Crew, uh, came in to do "Don't Pull Your Love," and mm-hmm. so we're. He said, "Well, I, you know, what do you play?" I said, "I play bass." He said, "Then you play bass, and I'll play piano." <laughs> And he okay. and he played piano and kicked some serious butt on it too. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, how are you feeling? I mean, you're you've gone off in and started this new band, and you get a record deal, and it sounds like it's you. I mean, I don't. If you didn't play originals to get signed, did you at least have originals? I mean, Dan Hamilton. Yeah, Dan wrote a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he. he yeah, Danny and Tommy. 
Yeah, Tommy Rebels also wrote at that time too. So part okay, of the yeah. uh, first album had songs that Tommy and Danny had both written. Okay, okay. So were you just like eyes popping out of your head? Like I can't believe I'm getting to play. Well, we, you know, we all we've all had all been playing for years, and we called okay. ourselves professionals. So it was just more of a, a step up and, okay. and your job kind of, you know, type of thing. You know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, so the first album comes out in 1971, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when Don't Pull Your Love is a big hit. And wh- I mean, are you starting to, do you remember, and this could be, this could go for the entire run of the band, actually. Do you remember some really special shows that you played? Some special like concerts that really stand out in your mind, whether they were big or they were in unique locations or you played with someone you really admired? We opened, when we first got, Don't Pull Your Love was first a hit, we opened for the Carpenters at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, really? The the day that it went gold, it sold a million, and they presented us with a gold record on stage. And that, nice. when we played out like that, we also used horns and stuff. And the horn section we used for that show was the horns from the Tonight Show, from Johnny Carson show. Oh, really? Oh, and those guys, yeah. And they also played on the the horns on "Don't Pull Your Love." Really? Most of those, most of those guys from that so section. So the, the yeah. horns on "Don't Pull Your Love" are the same horns from Johnny Carson's group. Some some of them are. Yeah. Some of them. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating, interesting. Um, well, that's so. Do you remember then? Uh, going back to that other question, do you remember yeah. any particularly special? Oh, well, we. Uh, I, I, our favorite was when we opened for groups like Three Dog Night and Steppenwolf because sure. we we knew most of the guys in Three Dog Night and because we all we kind of hung out together when we were in the studio and stuff like that. And we always kid them because they had the band. We knew they all played, but they had the band. We would always say, well, you know, you can't play and sing at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like a, a running joke with us and stuff like that. But those shows with us and Three Dogs Night were, were vocally scary. It was so powerful. It was unbelievable. Really? So wow. that, that was fun. But we had some of our favorite shows. Where we toured with Johnny Mathis. And oh really? I, Interesting. And I would sit out in the audience every show and listen to him. You know, listen to his. Yeah. Uh, I um, uh, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we toured with uh, Sonny and Cher. And uh, that was that was yeah that was when they had their TV show yeah and yeah. We, that was that was fun we had a good time doing it but with with a lot of the, it was so different the acts that we yeah. would open for sometimes would just be you know so. So far from what we had just done, or something like that, you know. Like, sure. Uh, yeah. And our show, beside the hits, our show was basically hard country and blues. Yeah, yeah, that's so, very true. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know. Well, now you mentioning but, that, um, uh-huh. that's interesting that you say that. Do you feel like because, um, you know, Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds are primi- would primarily today be labeled as like a soft rock. Group. Yeah, you know, we, we were like bubblegum in those days. Really? So when yeah, you was... say you see yourself as hard country and blues, does that mean that when you were playing live, it got a little grittier, a little dirtier? Oh, or big time. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. So how did you feel then about this kind of soft rock sheen 
were you comfortable with the music that was going out there, or did you feel like, no, the real band that you want to see, you got to come see us live? Because that's what yeah, we're no, really we about. If if you if we didn't like the the songs that we released, we wouldn't have released them. Yet. We enjoyed okay. playing them, okay. and we were we were proud of them. Sure. Well, they're great songs. But I didn't. I was wondering if, in your mind, there's a schism between what's you know the the music that's going out is softer than I prefer because I view our band as being grittier than what is being portrayed. But you're comfortable with this. Oh, you yeah, like the hits? Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and people people enjoy it. They were kind of most a lot of people were surprised because they just didn't realize what our show was like. You know. Yeah. And and a lot of shows were three quarters of them was after the third album was mostly the cuts off of the album so hmm. okay okay yeah for sure i uh i interviewed bruce blackman from starbuck yeah, yeah. Uh, a few months ago and he had mentioned going on tour with you guys yeah it's a good old yeah. mississippi boy oh yeah great guy yeah. great storyteller and great band yeah I, so, like I like him a lot so um okay so done your time at dunhill other than don't pull your love there's a couple follow-up singles, but they're not quite as successful. And does Dunhill eventually just drop you? What's that like? No, what happened was after the second album, Tommy Reynolds wanted to do a solo album, and okay. ABC didn't want to do it, and he left the band. Got and it. they didn't want to continue recording because he was gone. So yeah. we basically took a hiatus. I, I came back to the South. And, and really? hung out, you know, yeah, and hung out, and, and then I came back out here, and uh, I think it was seventy. Tommy left like in seventy three or something like uh-huh. that, and I, I went home and came back out in seventy five or seventy oh, wow. into seventy four, and Tommy and uh, a gentleman named Alan Dennison, who basically mm-hmm. took, uh, I'm sorry, Danny and, and Alan Dennison, had been in England together writing songs so they had written a couple of albums worth of material and that's what Falling in Love came out of was a right. album that, that uh, Danny and and then we tried to get we signed with uh, Playboy and Playboy wanted to continue to use the name and mm-hmm. we thought well you know what it's just a name man it, it yeah. really don't mean crap you know if you really do play and Tommy had signed off on it. He was okay with us doing that. So Alan okay. Dennison, yeah, yeah, da- Alan Dennison joined the group. And Alan was a, a, clean, a, a classically trained pianist until mm. he was about 25 years old or in his 20s. And then he went to work for Iron Butterfly. Oh, and really? Then, yeah, and then we got him. And wow. this kid is out, was outstanding. I, I'm assuming I hadn't seen him in a while, but... I would hope he's still playing because his yeah. chops were unbelievable. Oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Okay, because, yeah, that, that, what you just described is, you know, that's one of the highlights of the Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds history story is yeah. that Tommy leaves, and, and I was, I've always, I've never been sure whether he left angrily or if there was, if it was all cool with everybody. Sounds like it was yeah. fine. Yeah, it was it was okay. The the worst part about this musician crap is that we were friends, we were buddies, you know. So yeah. we didn't really we treated the playing and getting paid like a business. But when it came to stuff between the three of us, you know, when time we 
if if we'd have been businessmen, Tommy would have, it would have cost him to get out of the group, or something would have happened otherwise. But mm-hmm. because we were all buddies, and you know, that I wanted him to be happy doing whatever he wanted to do. That's sure. the thing. If you ain't if you ain't happy in this in this business here, then you know it's pitiful. Yeah. Was he and he thought he would be happier as a solo artist than being with you guys? Well, his he was headed toward. Uh, kind of a religious thing. Oh, okay. He was writing. He had when he left. He actually put together a band, and I helped him put the band together and played with him for a while. And he had written all these songs, and then we every even everybody in the band noticed. Man, you know these things are like fifteen, twenty minutes long. They really go through mm. all this, you know, mental thing and stuff like that. But he had uh, made a deal with Stax Records and was. Planning on probably going to end up being the first white artist with them, and really? about a month before they got ready to to sign him, he said, "I'm I'm not doing this," you know, and he joined a religious group, and that's where really? he's been ever since then. Yeah. See, I don't know anything. I don't really know anything about him. So he he became born again, probably. Yeah, and yeah. left music entirely. Did he become a pastor or something like that? I, I, I don't know if he he's left music. He played he. He, we did a 20-year reunion with him, and uh, one year, and it was it was fun. And he Good. he uh, he still had played. He makes steel drums, and then he had, I know he was doing this down in Florida, and he was yeah. He would make them and sell them to the schools, and then teach the kids how to play them. You know, it's very talented. Yeah. Guy, okay. Yeah. But uh, he, I think he became a Jehovah Witness, and he's a, it's okay. a fairly big shot in the in the the church. Okay. Interesting. I wonder, you know, I was listening to the first uh, Hamilton, Joe Franken album and Reynolds album, and I noticed all the steel drums. coming over there listening mm. to Tommy play Tim Bollies, you know, and all these jazz guys 
coming over here and play fives and stuff like that. You know? And it Very was cool. fun. He kicked, he played some serious uh, percussion stuff. You know, yes. Wow. That's such a unique sound. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Tommy leaves. Now, this might be a really dumb question. I don't really know how this stuff works. Is there anything... Um, is there anything like a naming right? Like, for instance, do you does Tommy have to get paid or get like a royalty or something like that, even though he's not in the band because the band continues to use his name? The the way the royalties things work is that it's, it goes to the individual person. Ours was split in the thirds, so. Each one of us got a third of the royalties, and that's what happened. That still happens today. So even after yeah, Tommy Danny, Danny, leaves, yeah. Well, right. it doesn't make any difference. It has it has nothing yeah, to do true. with with the group. It has to do with the writing and the the publishing and the recording and stuff like that. Right. But during that period when Tommy's gone, but you're still calling yourself uh, Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds, right. is he making any money because he's lent his name to the band? Well, I, I don't know that it, it, it okay. probably nobody would really, you know. I don't. People didn't even know the difference to tell you the truth. It Tommy yeah, wasn't with yeah. a lot of times, so it was kind of it's just kind of a weird thing. But uh, you know, it, it kept us working. That's for sure. Sure. So, uh, yeah. Know, okay. But he okay. actually had decided, and he had told us a, a couple of times. That, even before that, we did the twenty-year reunion, and after that, that he just he wasn't interested in anything that had to do with his recording career. Yeah. Okay. You know, so. Okay. Great. Um, going back to royalties, do you? I assume you still see a royalty from those hits I, from back in the I day. I do get them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nothing I you can my, live on, but you get a no, little something <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. I had my band in laugh. high school called Yeah. They just, uh, I had my band in high school called Joe Frank and the Knights. And we recorded on two or three different labels in, in the uh, Mercury, Paramount, and a couple of other things. And two years ago, I started getting royalty checks for Joe Frank and the Knights. And the first one was seven cents. So I'm now I'm I'm up to fourteen cents on on that big thing there. Yeah, you know? and that's from nineteen the nineteen fifties and sixties. So. Oh, so it's, it's a big. I part. always think that's so funny. And they mail you a check, right? Oh yeah. So it's oh, more yeah. trouble yeah, yeah. for you to get these checks and go to the bank and and as if it's even worth the trouble. You know what I'm it's saying? A, yeah. I, I had got one for a penny. I should have gone oh, on and put it in the bank just to cost them another twenty bucks exactly. to process it. But, exactly. but I, I yeah, I put it on. It's uh, it's stuck in the uh, frame of my of one of my gold records. So. Oh wow, that's classic. Oh man. <laughs> well now your your uh, your Ham your Hamilton Joe Frank and Reynolds royalties got to be better than that, right? Well, oh yeah, <laughs> a okay. lot better than that. Yeah. I was gonna say yeah. I mean, I just want, I'm what I'm getting at is I don't want to. I'm I'm hoping you're not telling me that you got screwed somehow. At, you know, over these last. 40 no, years no, no. or whatever. We're, we're, okay. we're, we're doing fine. Yeah, it's, uh, good. Uh, okay, they, good. Nobody's messed with our royalties, that's for sure. Good. Okay, good, good, good. Because I know you didn't write those songs, right? I mean, I didn't see your name. I I think no. Dan wrote most of them, right? Yeah. Or Tom, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a writer. And I, You're I not wrote a song part writer. of uh, one okay. song we had called Get on the Bus.
and we all wrote part of that. That song was okay. in about five minutes, so it wasn't a Okay, yeah. So that's, that's you want you want to hear some piano play and listen to Alan Dennison play the piano. You know, oh, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. I was listening to that whole album today, and um, it's solid. It's uh, he's he's incredible. Yeah. So, he really yeah. Was. Okay. Well, cause, yeah, that's what I was wondering because I knew you didn't write many of the songs, but I, I mean, obviously, you get playing, you get a royalty for playing on them, and I get royalty for being being the Joe Frank. Right. Yeah, that's where I get the okay, royalty. Right. Yeah, that's where I get the royalty. Good. There you go. Okay. Cool. All right. So, um, Dunhill comes to an end. How does does Playboy come sniffing around? Like they want to sign you? Do you go to them? How does tell me how the bridge to Playboy happens? And then you got to tell me, I mean, just the name Playboy sounds so decadent. Was it, or was it just a business well, like anything else? No, the record company was was a just like a total like a record company would be. Okay. You know? I mean, it was, okay. it was it it happened to be well. I, what the deal was, our manager at the time uh, was after we had left uh, ABC and stuff, and was. He was looking for labels for us, and I he went to Playboy, and I, I think at that time Playboy was I can't Tom Takayoshi or somebody like that who had done run Apple Records for the Beatles, and he was running Playboy. So this uh, so our manager made a deal with them to sign us, and, and then we presented them with the Falling in Love album. Okay. And that's that was the first album we recorded with it. And believe yeah. it or not, they didn't think fall we and we didn't either think that Falling in Love was the hit off of that album. Yeah. We had, we thought uh, winners and losers or one of the other cuts uh, I love that was that stronger than that. It's interesting. Um, of course, I've known Fallen in Love, but uh, I hadn't heard it in a really long time. And so over the last week or so, pouring myself back into Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds music, that song, and I don't mean this as criticism, but it is so simple. You know what I mean? Well, it's only it a few different lines. It doesn't vary that 
that much, but it's a great little ditty. It's a great it's little a groove. groove. You know what I mean? Tune. That's exactly what it is. It's a groove tune. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. It's it was, so I was yeah, listening to it thinking, boy, this was not that you not that you did, but you're talking about riding the bus, get on the bus in five minutes. Yeah. I can't imagine much more thought went into falling in love. It's just a simple yeah, tune. It, like was, it, just it might have written, been written in about a half an hour or so, and then the lyrics <laughs> changed. The, the lyrics changed quite a bit on it from the beginning to the end of it. Oh, but, okay. But the track never changed. The track was always the same. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Dan's wife had a hand in writing that one, too, right? Yeah, yeah. she wrote part of the, the lyrics to that song. Okay. And is that was that true for a lot of the music did they were they a kind of a collaborating couple no uh, no it was just on this one song that they okay did. okay all right i wasn't sure about that so what's it like having a number one song oh, i was great are you kidding we were we were yeah. rocking and rolling yeah we were loving it yeah we were we were traveling all over the place and uh there was just, you know and with the ABC, it was kind of fun. And then, but with Playboy, it was even more fun. That's you know, what I wanted it, to know. Yeah, yeah, I bet they threw better parties, uh, right? Oh, they and they had uh, they had limousine services at because the, they had the Playboy clubs going at the time. <laughs> yeah. and they had limousine services all over the country. So anytime we were somewhere, you know, we always hop in a couple of limos and do the you know the rock and roll. Uh -huh. thing. You know, and drive around and that crazy. Oh man, you you must have been going nuts. <laughs> but it was uh, it was uh, it was funny. We did a Playboy did I think it was Columbia Records uh, that they did a distribution deal with. So they had a function at the Playboy Club in L.A. and Hef was there with his friends and my girlfriend at the time did makeup for the magazine and she also mm -hmm. did have scrapbook. She took care of his scrapbook for him. So she knew we were coming to the functions that she came in and she was with him and she came over to the table and she said, you know what Half just said? And I said, no, what? And she said, he won't know who those long-haired guys were sitting over there. <laughs> he didn't even, he didn't really know who we were. Right. I, I didn't miss right. the time, you know. And yeah. then I, I went to work for the magazine for a long time for, for the West you Coast did? Uh, Studio, yeah, for Studio West for the photo department. Yeah, I, I, say, I, I don't shoot, but I, I liked assisting photographers, and I liked building sets and stuff like that. Sure. Well, I can imagine it's a lot more fun building sets on a Playboy photo shoot <laughs> than, uh, you know, a nature <laughs> yeah. shoot or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Better to oh, shoot yeah. for Playboy than, like, you know, National Geographic in the Antarctic <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> you bet. You know what you're doing. Yeah. You know Frank knows what he's doing. <laughs> right on. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So they, um, they would, uh, listen, though, they, they would they would recreate some of the parties that have had, and they were filming at the time. They didn't have the they weren't videotaping stuff, but they were actually filming. We'd recreate the shoot, and then he would bring in a film crew, and they were doing it because they were getting ready to do the Playboy channel and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would play, if any one of them that had a piano in it, I would do that really bad lounge singer routine and introduce <laughs> the, the photographer, introduce the assistant and the model and all the guys that did, you know, and it would get real crazy. And some of those, they still air today on some of this stuff. Really? Oh, that's great. Man, that must have just, I mean, there's no, such a unique time in history. And you were right there, you know, in the heart of this very unique oh, culture you. and unique period. 
it could only have existed right then and there, and there you were in the center yeah. of it. You know what I mean? And it's timing. It's just it you know, is. It the right is. Place at the right time. It's amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, now tell me. Now at this time, I mean, you're one of the biggest bands in the country. Are you? Did you at any point meet any heroes? Did you have like a musical hero growing up that you got to meet? And like, oh. Uh, Hi, Mr. Whatever. You know, was there, did you ever have a well, moment like that? Mine were blues guys, you know. And really? I, like, yeah. I, I actually, I played bass with Chuck Berry on a few shows. And <laughs> I, that, so I love that, you know. And uh, so it, it just, uh, I, I played bass on Lightning Hopkins' 75th birthday album. Good, cool. And, so I, and, and in that group, I got to meet John Lee, because he had John Lee Hooker and all these other guys, and I got to yeah. meet all these guys. Right. I grew up in a little town called Leland, Mississippi, and you had Jimmy Reed, the old blues guy, was born in, in Leland and wrote all a bunch oh, really? of great blues tunes. Yeah. yeah. And then you had B.B. King was from Indianola, Mississippi, which was about sure. 15 miles away. Bo Diddley was from Clarksdale, Mississippi, and I played drums, got to play drums with him one night. Wow. I, I, I thought that was a hoot and a half. Yeah. No I kidding. never did get to meet B.B. King. Which was I thought was kind of weird out of playing all the time down there. But my daddy was a rural mail carrier, and he would call to school. I mean, nothing like to high school, and he would tell the principal there. He'd go, "Look, there's a blues band out here at Garlove, so tell Joe Frank to come on out and check it out." And this would be 11 o'clock in the morning. Oh wow! And they would come get me out of class, and I'd drive uh-huh. out to the country, and I'd hear. Uh, you know, Howlin' Wolf or Muddy oh, Waters and all these old guys, yeah. Oh. It was uh, it was a trip. Historic. It, it, the music was just incredible down there at the time. Sure. I loved it. Sure. Now, real quick, do you have um do you have an interesting Chuck Berry story? Because mm-hmm. I recently interviewed somebody, um, who a guy named John Pasden, who was in some power pop bands in the seventies, uh, out of Chicago and he he told the most insane uh, Chuck Berry story. And now I've heard really horrible stories about how Chuck treats the bands that come to play with him. Do you have an interesting story to tell about Chuck if you want? Well, he, you don't rehearse and he yeah. plays in one, plays in one key, which was D flat. And about 30 minutes before you go on, he tells you what he's going to do and how he wants you to, play so your the your baseline is bum 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 pretty uh-huh. simple. Yeah. So the first show I did with him and we come out on stage and we start playing and he turns around to the drummer and he goes, Play it like nineteen fifty and the drummer said, I wasn't born till nineteen fifty four So it was like what? But as we started playing and he got into it, you know, he yeah. everybody started singing. And, you know, Chuck did that duck walk, came over to where yeah. I was standing, and he said, I don't believe that these all of these kids know the lyrics to my songs. And they <laughs> literally knew every one of them. It was oh, a yeah. trip there. What year but are we he, talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? What year are we talking about? That was probably, let's see, Oh, maybe the late sixties. Oh, like so that. this is yeah. back. Okay, is it, yeah. he was still, you know, fairly re- not that he's irrelevant, but he was still more of a oh yeah, more yeah. of a public eye back then. Now I've heard, did he give you the same instruction that he gives everybody about when to stop and when to start? 
I, you know, all I remember was him telling me to play it in B flat and do that. Da, okay. da, 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 okay. And I don't remember yeah. anything else. Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's if I lift my, when I lift my leg, you stop. And when I drop my leg, you start. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No, yeah. no, he didn't, he didn't tell us that. I, okay. I don't remember him saying okay. anything like that. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. I just was curious. He's been a hot topic on this podcast recently. So I just wondered if you yeah. had any cool stories. Okay. Yeah. So going back now, let's get into kind of the, the unfortunate side the success didn't really continue after falling in love, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, what do you attribute that to? Well, I it could have just been the, the music at the sign of the, sign of the times, you know. It's yeah. it's hard to say, you know, what it was. The fact that maybe we weren't out there or wasn't producing any new material could have been a lot of it, too. Yeah. Because um, we didn't record anything after the second album on, on the at Playboy, right? Was it the was it the first Playboy album or the second one that had Winners and Losers? It's the first one. It was right? the first one, yeah. Falling yeah. in love, and then the yeah. second one is the second one. That's the one that's Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Dennison. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that didn't have any hits on it. No, I don't think it did. And then what they and then what they wanted to do at the time, you had all these R and B big time production tunes, you know. Uh-huh. And they were trying to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Just walk away. Take the light from another day. And go ahead and find your new love. I'll be okay. But don't turn. Cause I don't want to see the rain coming down But after you've gone I'll make a new life From the love that I've saved Cause only love can break your heart Some of the songs on there I, I really liked and I enjoyed doing yeah. them, and it, and it was a different thing for us. We just sort of, it just never really kind of happened, you know. Yeah, but that was an, almost, that was another thing, you know. I got uh, on one of the songs there. I, they said, "Would well, you want to bring in another bass player?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd like to bring in James Jameson, who was uh-huh. Mr. Motown, you know." Of course. And Legend. he came in and played on this one tune, and we became really good friends. So oh, it was really? kind of weird, yeah. And his, he, I took, I, I wanted to learn his 
you know, to pick his brain, basically. So he said, yeah, I'll take you on. Come. So he would come hang out and show me the riffs he did. And most of, he said most of my riffs, uh, some of them are just practice riffs that I do to keep myself, you know. But I learned a lot just from hanging out with him. You know? Wow. That's so funny. He was the hero of John Pazden, oh. the guy I was just talking about, who played with Chuck Berry, who was also a bass player. Um, yeah. James oh, Jameson yeah. was his like music idol too. He said the same I thing. Can, That's crazy. Too, he must yeah. have. Wow. Yeah. He was. He was amazing. So. Um, yeah. There's a now, song called "Now That I Got You" on on yeah. the last album, and he played bass on that. Uh, in the the, the 60 
and uh, my wife and I had a couple of girls, and we ended up, we were divorced. And I've always and then I've remarried a couple of times, and you know, a bunch okay. of times. Wow! Yeah. Really? So, How many and, times have you been married? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm Joey. I'm married to my fourth wife. We've okay. been married. Yeah, we've been married thirty three years, and she's okay. uh, nineteen years younger than I am. So whoa! That's a, yeah, that's yes. Yeah, but Joey's uh, uh, my second wife, and I didn't have any kids. And Joey's mama was my third wife. And okay, I wondered where Joey, Joey yeah. came into the picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And okay. He, he uses his, he was, she changed his name to Newman, which I, I didn't find out until later on. But anyway, you, you don't have to put that on the air. But he well, goes no, I was going to ask name. you about that because, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously your last name is not Newman. So was he, um, was that her maiden name? Is his name yeah. not, I can cut all this out if you want, but is no. is his name not Joey Newman? No, he was he was born Joseph Vincent Corolla, and then she changed it after we divorced. She changed his name to Joey oh, Newman. Got his it. grandfather was Lionel Newman, who headed up the music department over at Twenty Century sure. Fox. You know? Well, the Newman family and, is a dynasty. yeah, that that whole Randy is, Thomas, is, yeah, all of them. Yeah, and I it's I love them to death. I know most uh, every one of them, and you know, and I just. I didn't have any problem. I did. I did have a problem with it, I guess, in the beginning. But I don't have a problem with it now. No, I, I mean, my son. It no makes what, right. It makes if he wants to get into scoring in Hollywood, there's nothing yeah, wrong right. with having the last name Newman, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's it, how you it do it. Yeah, opens it a lot of doors. Plus, yeah. he he scores one of my favorite shows, The Middle. I didn't know yeah. that until oh, I was just reading his website. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my very good. favorite shows. I love yeah. it. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm cool. waiting for him to buy me that new F-150 uh, pickup truck, so you can put that on the air for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his well, music career seems to be doing okay. Good yeah, for him. He's got okay. a bunch of kids. He's going to up first. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, – now we got to talk for just a minute. We got to talk about Dan dying. Do you okay. ha, that? How did that happen? Was that a shock to you? Had he been sick for a long time? What happened? Well, he had been sick. I didn't know he was that sick. But we were coming off the road from a job uh, in uh, at the Air Force Academy. I think we played a New Year's Eve there. We were coming back to California, and uh, he wasn't feeling good and. Uh, he got sick. His wife called me one morning, and I r- rode over to the house real quick. And he was uh, laying on the floor. He was in really bad shape, and he had been uh, bleeding. So the, he had a bleeding ulcer. He they took him and put him in the hospital. He was basically in probably uh, uh, in, in the hospital for a year and a half, a year or so. Oh. In intensive care, yeah, he was in intensive oh, care for a long okay. time. A lot of infection. I'm not exactly sure what what yeah. he had. He, he they were going to send him home. I think he came home and then they went back. He had a heart attack or a stroke that, oh, that night and, and took him back to the hospital and he passed away the next day. Oh, that's terrible. Forty nine years old. Oh my gosh, that's that awful. Yeah. You know, I think you know Glenn Fry just recently died. And I think he had a number of ailments, too, and I think one of them was also related to ulcers. I think he had right. also been sick for a while, 
And right. I wonder if it's something similar. Oh, that's so terrible. Yeah. It just wow. it was it was scary. Yeah. I mean, okay. you, know, you just felt and he was in the when they put him in intensive care, they just the, the infection was so bad they didn't know that you know they didn't realize that no yeah. what they were going to have to do to, to you know just to keep him alive. Man. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. Um, okay, so I got a couple more questions for you. What are now? What are the world famous assistants? What is that? Uh, well, on my sixtieth birthday, my son Joey said, "You know, let's put together a little band and play." So we did a little four-piece blues thing and played a friend of mine had a restaurant we played in this restaurant did my 60th birthday and then when I turned 70 you know he said well let's do it again I said well if we do it I won't put horns in the band so Mm. he put three horns in the band and we did it on the 70th on my 70th birthday and it we got such a good response from all the people and all these guys the studio they all score they all have their own shows and they've known Joey since birth, or at least a long time, you know, they know each sure. other, and they work together. Joey uses a lot of the, the the these guys on his sessions and stuff like that, you know. Uh-huh. So he we put the horns in the band, and the the band at that time was called Papa. My grandkids called me Papa Joe, and mm. it was called Papa Joe and, and the Assistants, basically mm. as a joke because I was I worked in the photo industry, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a joke on that type of thing. And then when my 75th, well, when we started that and we decided that later on we would call it, I said, the assistant sounds too funky, so let's call it the world-famous assistant. You know, who's going to know? Everybody, they've all played all over the world at one time or another, you know. So that's how the the name came about. And we do the Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds hits. We do Don't Pull Your Love and Falling in Love, Uh uh, those things, and uh, the couple of cuts off the album. And then, but our show is uh, blues from my era back in the fifties. Okay. And I'm a big Tower of Power fan, so we do a couple yes. of Tower of Power tunes, and nice. I, I do, do a hard Hank Williams Jr. song. Cool. And then we, it's a boogie band, so it's just it's a party. The horn, I have a four piece horn section, and those guys are scary. You know, really? It's, it's like a freight train when you nice. stand in front of this band. Now, if someone wanted to know more about the world famous assistants, are there, is there a CD they can buy? Do you There's, only no, play no, local shows periodically no, no, around LA? We do private parties, but we play for fun mostly, and we okay. do it at a, at a, a couple of bars. One of our, our favorite bar in LA is this place called Molly Malone's, and we play okay. there whenever we get in town. It's close to my house, and the okay. band knows that I'm old and senile and don't like sure. to travel. How old are you now, Joe? Frank? I'm uh, 76. 76? Wow. i got to say, you uh, you just broke the record for being the <laughs> oldest guest I've had on this podcast. Oh, good. Congratulations. Oh, oh, man, that's great. Do I get like yeah. a little trophy? Can I get uh, can you mail I will, something to say? Maybe. I'll, se- maybe I'll send you an email with one of those, you know, cards that you can <laughs> click on it and it plays a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll send you one of those. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I talked to Billy Vera recently from Billy Vera and the Beaters, and he's yeah, almost seventy-two, and he was the oldest. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Okay. So uh, now, are there other guys in this band that ha- are sort of you know lifers like you that have done other things that anyone might have heard of? Are they mostly yeah, like local well, local I, musicians? I, they they uh, they're in their they're in their forties and fifties. I'm assuming. I I. 
I met most of them when we started playing through Joey, and they uh, do this. Uh, a lot of them do score for TV uh, and other okay. things like Joey does. And uh, there's a couple of us that uh, just do it for the fun of it, you know. Sure. Okay. My, my harmonica, I have a kid that plays, I say kid, he's 50-something years old, <laughs> that plays harmonica. And he's not a professional musician, but he's literally the best harp player I've ever worked with. And so oh, wow. Okay. We, we do a lot of uh, Sam and Dave type the harmonies on oh, the killer. together. So, yeah. Yes, killer, killer. Okay, great. We've got we've got YouTube stuff on with uh, Joe. Oh, Frank you do. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So check. I it out. I uh, I post YouTube videos of my guests. We have like a playlist for the podcast, uh, and yeah. I put them out on Facebook so people know they're out there. I'll be sure and add them oh, yeah. so people can check look that out. stuff up. Um, now, do you? So when you look back on your career, so this is something I ask almost everybody. Um, do you? What's your biggest coolest memory when you think back and you're like i can't believe that happened to me what is that thing and then what is your biggest regret well you mean musically or just in life well it could be i mean as it relates to your music career and it maybe it's you know in your case no (laughs) you've been married four times maybe your biggest regret is that your music career uh, hindered your ability to be a better husband, or so I don't well, know. That, yeah, that and, and believe it or not, that it didn't it didn't hinder me as being a better husband. It just, it, I was in the, at the point in my life with, with all the divorces where I I wanted to play. The, the yeah. wives I had at the time didn't really, it didn't make them any difference one way or the other. So it was kind of like you know not in sync type of things, you know. Okay, but. And my present wife is my biggest joy. You know, when I met her, I, I was like a, a big redneck idiot down in Mississippi, mm-hmm. running around mm-hmm. like a crazy man. Not, not, I don't know that she saved me, but it it, uh, it was got it was you off the street. It was pretty amazing like. when, we, when we met. You know, so it was kind of a, yeah. A Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. All right. And then what's your what's just the tastiest memory from your? 50 years in music, pretty much. Well, I I would, to me, the, the the one that I really enjoyed the most was playing bass on Lightning Hopkins' 75th birthday album. Really? That's yeah. great! I, I I enjoyed that, and about a, uh, I guess a year before that, I was there was a writer out of New York named Thomas Jefferson K, and Tommy came out to L.A. and was writing and doing a bunch of recording and stuff, and I got hooked up with him to to play bass on all on a lot of his demos and to sing background with him, which was kind of fun, 
And he had all of these players from every major group in the world that he knew and worked with, you know. And that was that was fun for me and a, and a fond memory with him. I, I enjoyed working with that cool. kid a lot. Great, great. Cool. Well, that's great. Uh, i got to ask you one more question, yeah. and this was sent in by a listener. Uh, Ain't No Woman was a big hit, was a hit for you guys, but it, I guess apparently at the same time, uh, the Four Tops did a version of it as well, and their yeah. version was a bigger hit than your version? Does that stuff still get played 
Yeah. Is it still out? Is it? Okay, good. Because yeah. I'm sure it's on a station that I probably, I haven't listened yeah. to the radio in years. But I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. is there a niche out there? Is it getting, you know, is it reaching there's a, there's the right people? There's a couple people? stations that play the, what the, the oldest one. One's KRS, and it, it plays a lot of uh, that from the in, from that era and even further back. You know? Okay, cause, so is it more considered kind of in the oldies section now? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly okay. what it is. Okay, okay. I didn't know where it fell. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, because I just wanted to, I just, they're just such great songs, and I was just curious, how do people find that stuff today? Is it still living and breathing out there somewhere? Sounds like it is. Yeah, somewhere. Cool, cool. I have people that they'll find an album in a store somewhere, you know, for the dollars, they find one for a buck, and they always bring it to me. It's <laughs> how I work. They go here, and I found this album here. To you. Really? I said, I, I don't want it. I got them. What do you want me to keep that? <laughs> you got a ton of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the place where, yeah, where I work now is uh, I work at uh, a place here in L.A. called Sammy's Cameron, and I work in the rental department. And, and we're fairly large. We're probably the largest on the West Coast as far as camera stores and, and the, our rental department, too. But we have... Tons of these photographers that come in, and they at one point they always find out that I'm the Joe Frank from Hamilton, uh-huh. Frank and Reynolds, you know. And I have to go, th- I go through that with them at the store, but it, it's kind of fun. And then when the radio, when it comes on the radio, some idiot always puts it on the intercom, you know. Of I course, gotta that. I gotta hear that. Joe one. Frank's on the radio again, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. classic, that's uh, great. Well, good. Oh, this was fun, Joe Frank. Thank you for talking to me, man. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we did this. I had a good time myself. Good. Me too. There you have it, Joe Frank Carollo. Such a good old boy, right? Couldn't you just sit and hang out with him forever? Just seems like such a nice guy. I loved it. And thanks, Greg and Howard, for sending that recommendation along. As is always the case, if anyone wants me to try and track somebody down, just send me a note. Either on Facebook, you can like our Facebook page, or you can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Write us a review. Stay in touch however you want. Uh, Subscribe to the playlist on YouTube. Just type in the Hustle Podcast playlist. Huge thanks to the OG, Aaron Syret, who's back to produce this episode. Uh, Next week, in fact, the next couple of weeks, are going to be devoted to people who collaborated with David Bowie. As you know, that matters a lot to me. If you guys are David Bowie fans, I think you're going to be pretty uh, interested in some of the information that we talk about in these interviews. They're um, pretty enlightening. And I would encourage you, even if you're not a Bowie fan, there are millions of people out there right now. He's very top of mind. People are caring about him deeply. Share the podcast. Send it to people. Alert people that you know who like him and care about him that it's out there. We'll talk about it more next week. But thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you then.